Good morning, everyone. My story of generosity was nearly 20 years ago when I had Meals on Wheels for a month after my husband died, so I've been eternally grateful for that one. Today's reading is from Ruth. Hopefully it will come up on the screen. Um, it's Ruth 2, chapters, verses 14 to 23, and it can be found on page 413 of the Church Bibles. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roast grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the fields until evening. Then she thrashed the barley she had gathered, and it had mounted to about an epath. She carried it back to the town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also bought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has, stopped, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is a close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth, the Moabites, said, He said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Good morning. Can you hear me all right? And thank you, Jane, for that reading. Um, we're now into week four of our study through the book of Ruth. So we're roughly about halfway through. And I, I hope you've been enjoying it as much as I have. And uh, today we're looking at the theme, as, as you've probably gathered, of generosity. Um, so a brief recap of where we're at so far. Uh, we've seen that Naomi and her family departed from Bethlehem because they were in dire straits. There was a famine going on, and therefore they heard that Moab would have grain, so they moved across there. Then, unfortunately, during that time, uh, Naomi's husband died, and her two sons died as well. And then Naomi decided to go back to Israel, probably thinking, 
she'd have a, a, a better time, she would be amongst her, her own people, and went back with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Um, now, it's interesting that Moab and uh, Israel were not on the best of terms, really, uh, although they've got the same sort of parentage. They go back all the way to Terah, if you look in the early books of Genesis, and uh, the Moabites were descended through uh, Lot, Lot's daughter. And if you read about that, that's uh, quite an interesting story. I think if uh, Ruth ever went on, who do you think you are, that would make an entertaining program. Um, Whereas the Jews, the Israelites, were descended directly through Abraham. So there was a bit of friction between these tribes, and uh, therefore... I I would imagine that Naomi probably felt better that uh, she was uh, not not destitute in a foreign land, but uh, go back to where her family came from. Um, She'd gone out to Moab full and returned to Israel empty. In those days, if you had no male breadwinner, you had no income. You would be rather in dire straits, and you relied on the male, males of the family to pr- pr- provide the food and that. That's not to say that in Jewish tradition that uh, women were demeaned or anything. They had the important job of raising families. The Jews considered that especially important and, and held that in great esteem. So last week we learnt that Ruth had gone into the, the fields to pick up leftover grain, and that was part of uh, God's law that uh, when people would harvest, they would uh, not go back and pick up the leftover grain. They would leave it for the foreigners and the poor to survive. So God's provision, God's generosity was there right the way through society. Um, And it just so happened that uh, Ruth had managed to pick the field of Boaz, who was a God-fearing person and went beyond that uh, natural uh, law of of just leaving the the edges of the field. He, He was more generous. And it just so happened that he was a relative of Naomi's husband, So that's where we're at with this story. And uh, so when I was preparing this talk, I was trying to think about who, in my mind, are the most generous people that you can think of. And as you probably guess from previous uh, talks I do, I often consult the, uh, go to the altar of the internet and find out who's the most generous. And I didn't didn't realize, but there's there's a generosity index, which... uh, it's very overtly American. It's a, it's a ratio of how much wealth you've got and how compared with how much you give away. So these, these fine gentlemen, Michael Bloomberg, he's a media mogul, and his generosity index is 8%. But that's a lot of money. Bill Gates, I thought he was, you know, a really generous person. His generosity index is... Uh, 32%. 
So the next two, Warren Buffett, is, uh, he's acquired his wealth through insurance and, uh, and through finance. His generosity index is 35%. And Ted Turner, who's uh, a media mogul, is uh, the founder of Fox News and AOL Times Warner. His is 57%. However, this chap, who I'd never heard of before, Charles Francis Feeney, he's made his money out of retail. He's a, a retail magnate, whatever one of those is. Uh, he uh, formed a, a group called the Duty Free Shoppers Group. And he's been given the title, the James Bond of philanthropy, because of his generosity. Have a guess at what his generosity index is. Any, any takers for that? No, 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 no. Not even close. 420,000. <laughs> this man, this man has given away $6.3 billion and is living on a measly $1.5 million. <laughs> but I mean, it makes you think that the generosity index is, these are giving out of their wealth. I mean, clearly he's a generous person. He could have lived uh, a billionaire's lifestyle, whereas he's only living a millionaire's lifestyle. Uh, so. uh, a far better index is uh, there's one produced by the UK charity, the Charities Age Foundation, but they don't look at individuals. They look at countries, and they assemble their metric based on not just giving away wealth, but giving away uh, time, and also how kind they are to strangers. Now, I'm afraid to say that last year, the UK came a poor 17th in the world for generosity. But the one that came top has been top for the last five years. I bet you can't guess which country it is. It's Indonesia. <laughs> Amazing. But anyway, enough of this modern-day generosity. Let's look at the generosity in the story of Ruth. So first of all, I'm going to look at four people in the Bible that are generous, uh, particularly through this passage. And the first one is Boaz. Now, Boaz, believe it or not, according to rabbinic tradition, was 80 years old at this time. And so he was a man that clearly didn't have a wife, um, but he was wealthy, he was generous, and he went beyond the Jewish law of just leaving those gleanings on the edge of the field. He allowed Ruth to pick up amongst the sheaths, and even in this passage he says that for his workers to pull out some of the, the grain and leave it around so Ruth could gather more. So he was very generous. And he, he even let Ruth share the food that he gave to his workers. Now, we see in this passage that uh, he, he gave a drink, and a very thirst-quenching drink. Wine vinegar. <laughs> I don't know whether anybody wants to try it out. <laughs> 
But it, apparently it's incredibly refreshing and it happens to be the same drink that they gave Jesus on the cross. Maybe, maybe we have something similar with things like this zingy and refreshing lime cordial from Waitrose. Other, other stores are available. But, uh, so that's, that was the drink offering. So he was a, an all-round good guy. And he, what amazed me last week was that little line that said that even his, even his employees blessed him. You know, we don't see that in our industrial relations these days, do we, really? The employees blessing the employers. He also offered protection for Ruth, and uh, so she was blessed through that. So now let's turn our attention to Ruth. And uh, she took hold of this dire situation. She realized that Naomi and herself had no food, so she went out and worked hard. They'd got no food, they'd got no income, they'd got no immediate male line to help them as breadwinners. But she got going and worked. And that day, she gathered 13 kilograms of grain. Now, 13 kilograms. This, this is a 10 kilogram bag of rice. <laughs> so she, that was, what she gathered was more than that and then carried it all the way back. Now that would normally keep a family going for about a week. But we see in this passage that she not only worked for that week, but she went on through the barley harvest and into the wheat harvest, which would be something in the order of two to three months of hard work each day. And that would give them enough food to last them through the winter. So she also gave uh, Naomi the leftover food that, uh, that she had. Um, and uh, for me, the very challenging part of the passage this morning is that last line where it says, uh, and she lived with her mother-in-law, which, <laughs> which is something I don't think my generosity would have extended to. So, and incidentally, the uh, rabbinic tradition for Ruth is that she was aged 40, but I, I don't believe that because... It said clearly last week that the Hebrew word that was used for Ruth was a, a young girl, so she couldn't, couldn't really have been 30. So I don't know what these rabbis drink, but probably not uh, wine vinegar, um, something a bit stronger. Now, what about Naomi? Um, I'm not sure from this passage that we can attribute generosity to her character, but in a, in a defense, she didn't force her daughter-in-laws to come back to Israel, to Bethlehem. Um, however, I think that it's very challenging sometimes to accept generosity. Maybe pride gets in the way. And therefore, uh, it's interesting to look at how Naomi reacted. But I'm, I'm happy to say that in this part of the story of Ruth, we see Naomi changing and she's starting to thaw and she can see some encouragement. Um, some of the bitterness may be going away. I mean, she was a bitter person and that's not my words, that's her words. Um, but uh, 
she recognised God's providence in this story and began to get awakened hope and blessed Boaz through this. She had seen an exceptional amount of grain that had been gathered. There was something going on that was uh, more supernatural than what she expected. So now she possibly thought that there would be a happy ending to this story. So just to conclude for this, the story so far on those three, Boaz was a man with no financial worries. He was missing a companion, someone to share his blessings with, but a man that followed God's guidance and ordinances. Ruth, she was away from her home, a family, a widow, and in that society, that was something of a, a shame to be a married woman and have no children. But she took on the God of Israel as her own personal God, and that was highly commendable, certainly in my eyes. And then, whereas Naomi was uh, no one to look after her in her old age, she was now being blessed by Boaz through Ruth. But there's one more person that I want to consider in terms of generosity. God in Jesus. Now our God is a generous God. He created the universe. That's not a little universe, but a massive one. It's bigger than we can actually see. It's infinite, we think. Well, that's subject to some conjecture by some cosmologists. He created the earth, which is teeming with life. It's got fish, there's, uh, there's livestock, wild animals, and mankind. What a wonderful world that's been created. I was uh, amused to find out that there are something like 400,000 species of beetle. Uh, somebody once said, God must like beetles. Um, so that's just the number of beetles that science knows at this stage, but... That's probably an ongoing debate amongst entomologists. But what I believe is true, and Sarah mentioned it right at the beginning of the service, that he's poured out his blessings on us. Ephesians 1.3 that Sarah mentioned before was, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, the, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He also gives us good things. Psalm 84:11 puts it this way. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Plus, we're accepted into his divine family. As in John, 1 John 3, verse 1 puts it. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. I love the word lavished. <laughs> but surpassing them all, he did not withhold his son. Romans 8.32 puts it this way. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously Give us all things. I see many parallels in this story to Jesus. Just to mention a few, and maybe this is something for 
personal study or within home groups, but Jesus too was an exile in a foreign land at one point. He also worked for his, for his living up till when he became an itinerant preacher. He became a servant and became the bread of life. He not only kept the law, but fulfilled it. And I, I see this sort of vague um, parallel in the fact that within this story, we've got roasted barley and wine vinegar as a, almost a, a, a shadow of bread and wine that we celebrate. As Paul put it more eloquently about Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I wonder what generosity index we would attribute to our Saviour and our God. So where does that leave us? He blesses us so much that we can afford to be generous. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11 states, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving of God. Maybe we can consider our own generosity audit. So, or if you're in a place of bitterness, having the hope and the openness to accept generosity with dignity. I won't ask the home groups to calculate their generosity index, but I'll... I'll uh, I'll finish with the very apt words of uh, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, remembering that the Dead Sea, which lay between Moab and Bethlehem, was a natural barrier between Moab at Ruth's earlier years and Ruth's later years. Desmond said, the Dead Sea in the Middle East receives fresh water, but it has no outlet so it does not pass the water out. It receives beautiful water from the rivers and the waters go dank. I mean, it just goes bad. And that's why it is the Dead Sea. It receives and does not give. In the end, generosity is the best way of becoming more, more and more joy joyful. I say amen to that. Martin, do you now please stand to sing Everyone Needs Compassion? <laughs>